This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chabacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply Morning, Mets fans. Welcome to episode 284 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. My name is Brian Salvatore, but I will not be joining you for the majority of this podcast. Instead, our friends Chris McShane and Steve Saipa are going to talk about the 2018 Mets first-year player draft. Uh, we're going to talk about the different picks and what Steve thinks of the draft. And uh, yeah, that's going to be our show for this week, so... Next week, we'll be back talking about all the fun reality that is the 2018 Mets. I hope you can hear the sarcasm in my, my voice. It's been a pretty rough weekend and a rough week and a rough month, rough two months, whatever it's been. Anyway, 
let's look to the future and try and find some hope there. But before we do that, please go to AmazingAvenue.com. Check out all of our amazing draft coverage as well as the rest of the stuff on our site. We've been having a lot of really great stuff. Despite the Mets having a frustrating season, our site is still bringing you all the Mets news and information you could possibly need. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. You can find this show at blogtalkradio.com, on Stitcher, at Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. But please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts if that is how you get your podcasts. That helps us quite a bit. And you can follow Chris and Steve on Twitter. They are at Chris McShane and at Steve Saipa, respectively. I am at Brian Nitsenap. And until next time, let's go Mets. Take it away, Chris and Steve. All right. Hello, Mets fans. Uh, it is the draft week, and I think the way things have been going in the major leagues uh, over the past week and change, <laughs> it's not it's not a bad thing to uh, be talking about something that's not the major league team right now, uh, and a matter of fact, quite distant from that, uh, but you know, the amateur draft just wrapped up and if you've been reading the site, which if you listen to us on the podcast, I assume you have, uh, the coverage that we've had has been exclusively from Steve Saipa, who's with me here tonight on the podcast. And, uh, well, Steve, thank you, uh, in advance for the rest of these draft profiles that you're doing. And, and obviously thank you for the ones you've already done and thanks for, coming on and talking to people tonight about, uh, you know, what the Mets have done. Yeah, I find it it's fun. And like you said, it's a good way to uh, not concentrate on the Mets. <laughs> Which, yeah, we, we will have plenty of other time to revisit that. But uh, right now, you know, we're coming off the Nimmo episode, and now this, is it's kind of like a nice break, I think, from, uh, you know, what's been going on um but yeah they you know the Mets came into this draft with their best pick it was the best pick under Alderson right even though they had some down years I, this the number six pick was the highest that they had had yes so yeah they you know they came into this draft in that position um you know the the way the rules of it all go they had more money to work with uh, than they typically would have in the, the slot system. Um, you know, coming in with a, a farm system that wasn't, I guess, wasn't highly rated is probably a nice way of putting it. Uh, <laughs> when you when you consider where everybody was on the system. So, uh, you know, just before we get into some of the individual guys and all that, uh when you came out of these few days of the draft, what was your first overall impression? Um, Oy vey, probably. <laughs> it was not, I mean, who knows how these guys are going to pan out. In four years, we might be saying that this is one of the best drafts in history. But on first impression, it does not really seem like the Mets did very well here. So, I guess... Well, I guess we can run down, uh, you know, sort of the the sequence of things as the Mets went about them in the draft. Um, and we'll just, you know, start with the first round. Uh, they they were in this spot. They had this really high pick. Uh, 
you had seen, I guess, a few names linked to them. Uh, I forget who it was that it was, you know, within a day or two of the actual draft happening, somebody had mentioned that they may pick Jared Kalenic, which is what they did. So none of the guys who I had seen uh, linked to them had fallen beyond those first five picks. You know, <clears throat> there were a couple of guys that everybody was saying, oh, if they get to the Mets, they have to take this guy. Uh, but they, you know, they wound up going with uh, the high school left hitting left-handed hitting outfielder in, in Kalenic. So, you know, was it disappointing to you that those other guys didn't fall? And then I guess we can get into Kalenic himself. Um, yes and no. I wasn't, well, I'll just go with each of those three guys. It was Alec Bohm, Nick Madrigal, and Jonathan India were the three main guys that could have possibly fallen to the Mets at six. And uh, Magical is definitely the best hitter overall in this draft, but he's also five foot seven and weighs 165 pounds. And there's just a stigma against a player that small. Yeah, there's been guys that have had success, but to me personally, I feel like he was a player that you just one leg injury away from losing his elite speed. You're one shoulder injury away from losing his elite bat. And then you have a guy that's just kind of there, an okay fielder with no power. And if either one of those two things are damaged, you know, those things are gone. Um, Alec Bohm, he's a big power hitter, big time power. He'll probably hit for a decent average too. But outside of the bat, there really is not much. He's a third baseman, quote unquote. He's probably going to have to move over to first base relatively soon. And... It's just not an exciting profile. A first baseman that could hit for power. Whoop-de-doo. You know, there's a million of those. And India uh, had a similar profile to Bohm in that he's a, a decent hitter. Third baseman has a little bit of power. He's probably going to stick at third. He's a bit more athletic than Bohm is. But with India, I felt that his helium was a little too powerful uh, towards the end of the draft if that makes sense maybe at five where he was picked maybe is a little bit of a reach in my opinion he could have been a guy that you know if if he was further down i would have not batted an eye but at five i would have been a little i mean at six excuse me with mets picked i would have been a little hesitant to snag him but that's just those three guys yeah and i i feel like you know you get into the draft and especially with the way it's covered on MLB Network, you know, you, that they begin with these comps that can be uh, ridiculous at times. <laughs> and, and then it turns into this whole conversation. So you have a guy, uh, and, and you don't want to necessarily write somebody off just because of it. But, you know, like you said, you have a guy who's 5'7", and the popular thing to do is to say, oh, El Tuve is one of the best hitters in baseball and he's short. So, you know, uh, what, what if we comp this other guy who's kind of a short guy to him? And it's just not, it's just not how it works. It would make the draft a lot easier if it did. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so with, you know, with those guys gone, uh, you know, the Mets did what they did, uh, 
and before we get into him specifically, was there anybody at that spot who you were, you know, was your guy that you know, you were disappointed that they didn't take instead of who they did? Uh, yeah, I would have preferred uh, Matthew Liberatore. He was a left-hand uh, high school pitcher. He eventually fell to 16. Uh, he was picked by Tampa Bay. He's projected to go, you know, the first, you know, five, six, seven in there, in that area. A lot of people were saying that he fell because of um, money concerns. You know, he's only in high school. He's very, very talented. But supposedly there are rumors that he's been uh, giving to, you know, Tampa Bay people that he's willing to sign for under slot. Uh, the slot value at 16 is three million six hundred and what is it? Hold on, three million six hundred thousand three thousand dollars, and you know, it's a little disappointing that if that was the case, that he was willing to sign for just a little bit less than you know the, the three million that the Mets were not able to. Well, the the Mets did not pick him. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense, and. and... You know, as somebody who's um, maybe got a little more of a cursory sense of all this, uh, you know, that that was a name that had been out there a lot. And if it does turn out that he, you know, signs with Tampa for under slot, uh, I don't know, that, that seems maybe a little less than ideal for the 15 teams that passed over him. And, I'm, you know, obviously some of them at the top may have had really good reasons to do that, but... Um, you know, it just seems kind of strange that if that happens, that it's Tampa that ends up happening with, um, but yeah, I mean, so let's, let's hope, uh, we're certainly not rooting against him or anybody else in this draft, but let's hope that the guy the Mets took ends up being one that looks really, really good. Um, so you know, again, it, they went with Jared Kalenic. He's from Wisconsin, so the Mets have cornered the market uh, <laughs> in, you know, the not quite Pacific Northwest, but, you know, the, the northern and western half of the country uh, where you don't typically see a lot of guys drafted out of. Um, left-handed hitter, 18 years old. Uh, you know, he'll be 19 in July. Uh, so what is this guy about? You know, the obvious comp here that you heard a lot was Brandon Nimmo. Um, is that justified based on, you know, who he is as a player or is it more, they have a few major things in common and then it's an easy one to make. They do have a few things in common. Um, there are also things that they did not have in common when Nimmo was first drafted, but it, it is a, it is an apt comp i guess especially since nimmo isn't you know an all-star or anything like that he's still just kind of coming into his own but he still is a little bit still in development at the same time um but clinic is um he's a good hitter um he has some power uh, he could really turn on the ball um strong wrists the thing that separates him from Nimmo the most. Nimmo at the time also was a kind of a similar outfielder with some projectable power, but what separates the two the most is that Kalenic still needs to work a lot on recognizing 
breaking pitches and, you know, differentiating balls that he's just kind of going to make weak contact on and balls that he could really drive. Whereas Nimmo at the time was a very good eye, even as a high school player. Um, defensively, they're pretty similar. Um, at the time, Nimmo was a center fielder and Kalanick is a center fielder. Nimmo could still kind of play center field in a pinch, but he's kind of thrown off the position. He slowed down a little bit because of some injuries. And there are some, not concerns, but some think that in the future, uh, Glenn also has a position because he's going to fill in. He's six foot one, 200 pounds right now. So if he grows a little bit, um, depending on what kind of muscle he puts on, his speed might decrease. And if his speed decreases, it'll detract from his range. But some scouts and evaluators that are more bullish about that think that because he does take good reads and uh, takes good um, routes to the ball and he has good instincts, that that'll kind of counteract any loss of speed that he does have. If he has to move off of center, though, he does have a strong arm and his bat, you know, profiles well enough to be in right field. So it would be better off if he um, is not forced into the corner and is able to stay in center. But if he is, you know, he he profiles well there, so it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Yeah, and, you know, those things are, I think, pretty good compliments for a player. Um, You know, just because of the pressure that you have for offense at the corner spots, um, you know, in the outfield and the infield, really, in the game. it's not like he was a reach or anything like that. Like, I'm talking about, I would have preferred that other player, but it's not like the the Mets kind of came out of complete left field here and picked somebody that nobody had on their board in the first round. He's yeah. by far the best high school overall player available, and he does fit, you know, in the, the top half of the first round, which is where they took him. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's kind of interesting. I look back... Um, and obviously there are a lot of different places that rank guys, but just was talking with a friend about the draft and looked back at what MLB.com had, um, you know, just after last year's draft, they posted a very early look at the guys who they thought would be, uh, first round material this year. So he was on there and, you know, it's not like it was a list that had a bunch of guys who disappeared, but of the people who were, you know, maybe projected to go uh, high in the first round, he was one of the handful who who had been there, uh, you know, both at that time and coming into this year. Uh, so, you know, what that says about professional success, I don't really know, but, uh, you know, just sort of backing up your point that there was a perception of this kid being good enough to go in that spot for a long time and and he maintained it over the course of his uh his senior year in high school so uh that seems encouraging to me on that point and i don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing but because he comes from wisconsin and there's really not that many opportunities to start playing you know they they thaw out you know maybe late spring i mean like late aprilish so the season is not very long so he plays mostly on like exhibition and travel teams so he 
um, hasn't really gotten exposed, if you if you want to call it that. Um, so I, I think because of that, his stock had there was less variance in his stock, if that makes sense. You know, he's only playing in certain exhibition games and on certain travel teams. So you know, it's not like he has an entire spring's worth of you know bad at bats or you know, bad things going on to drop his stock. You know, there's less, less thing, but less events that scouts are seeing him at to make him drop. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Uh, and then I guess sort of turning that into his professional assignment. Uh, I think everybody's assuming the Mets will sign him. Uh, where do you think he gets started in his prof- uh, his professional career? That that should be an easier word than I just made it sound like it was. Uh, <laughs> a lot of times, I know teams don't really like to have their top players actually play in the season that they get signed. But I think because of that, you know, he's still pretty fresh. So I'm sure that if they do sign him, he'll report to the GCL Mets all the way at the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. And that still allows a guy an opportunity that, you know, if he gets down there and he just tears it up, he can always you know, play for a different uh, team within the system. But, uh, you know, it seems like minor league assignments aren't overly aggressive with, you know, this this regime of the Mets. Is that fair to say? Um, yeah, especially, you know, with Peterson, he was eased back. Kay, he was also eased back. Dunn, he had a kind of poor season last year so instead of pushing him to Binghamton they let him repeat at um, St. Lucie and he was just today promoted to Binghamton so you have uh, you know a couple of months down there yeah yeah and that, that that I guess that's a topic for another day but you know that is somewhat exciting uh, <laughs> anytime you have a guy who's taken that early and he gets up to double A I feel like it's cliche a little bit, but you know, you really start to find out what you have in a guy when he gets up to that level of, uh, you know, of the minor league ranks. Um, absolutely. I mean, that's basically knocking on the door. So, right. Right. And we've got a couple other double a guys that we'll, we'll touch on, uh, toward the end of the episode here. But before we get to that, we'll get through the, uh, the rest of the draft. So, in the second round, uh, I think I forget exactly where he was. Was it Buffalo Wild Wings or somewhere? Yeah. <laughs> was it there? Okay, so you know you hear that uh, the Mets take Simeon Woods Richardson, uh, pitcher out of high school, and he had every expectation of getting drafted, but he's he's out at Buffalo Wild Wing with the Wings with his friends, uh, not expecting to get drafted as early as he did. Uh, you know, on the first night of the draft and gets a call that he was selected by the Mets. So, uh, you know, that, that none of that is to insult what he is as a as a player. But what's he about and, you know, why was there this discrepancy in um, perception, I guess? Um, well, basically, he is a raw but high upside uh, prep right-hander. He, uh, his fastball, there's a little bit of discrepancy as to uh, how good it is. Uh, he claims to have hit 97. Yeah, you know, it sits in the low 90s, low to mid 90s or so. 
he claims to hit 97, um, but the highest that the pitch has ever been actually recorded at like exhibition games and stuff like that is 95. Not that big of a difference, but there kind of, I think, is a difference in perception between 95 and 97. Um, sometimes he kind of gets inconsistent with it and he'll back up into the high 80s to low 90s. But he claims that those reports are basically just based off of one game and that during that one game, it was a kind of relief outing anyway. But that doesn't really hold true because in other games that he's played, the velocity hasn't held deep into games. So there's a little bit of, uh, I don't know, puffing there with him. But fastball aside, he does have an arsenal that's pretty big for any pitcher, let alone, you know, a 17-year-old. He has a curveball, he has a slider, he has a changeup. The curveball is his best pitch. It's a big 11-5 curveball. Um, he can command it pretty good. And when he's able to consistently get on top of it, um, he, you know, it, it's probably an above-average to plus pitch. The changeup... Um, it's projected to be about an average pitcher better. He doesn't use it much, but he doesn't have to. Again, he is still in high school. Um, a lot of times in high school, these are kids that are just relying on their fastballs and maybe, you know, a, a so-so breaking ball. So the fact that he has a changeup is kind of uh, extra. And then his slider, it's a kind of sweepy lateral break, and he's had kind of problems commanding that. But um, because he throws a, a fast, uh, excuse me, because he throws the curveball and a slider, he could, you know, scrap one for the other and just uh, focus on improving whichever one kind of works better for him. And he's a kind of fiery kid. Uh, there's a quote from the a quote from his coach, which made me laugh. He described him as a mean rascal. <laughs> and um, he's. Have a very high baseball IQ. He likes to throw inside. He'll brush guys back. You know, he'll establish. You know that he owns the plate, and you know it's a, it's a good attitude to have for you know a guy so young because that's something that you know if he's starting at the bottom with that kind of attitude, then it's really only up from there when he's able to you know better control his stuff and can really lay it on the hitters. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh... Let's see. I, I am not making this comp. I, I am just bringing this up because it's kind of a you, and I think you probably see it more with high school players in general anyway. Uh, but the fact that he's played third base and uh, you know shown some power as a hitter, is there any hope that you know that there's any kind of two way player in there, or is that just kind of a nice anecdote for you know what what is career? will become that's most most 99.999 percent of the time whenever you're talking about a guy like a high schooler um and his ability to hit or vice versa if he's a hitter and you're talking about his ability to pitch 90 most most of the time it's whatever it is that the non-dominant one gets scrapped yeah because in, in high school you know most of the time you're you're pitching and you're playing a position very you know now that we have green and otani Maybe, you know, the exceptional athletes will be given more leeway as they start to, like, go up the minor league ladder. But still, I think for a player to 
be able to do that, they have to be a, you know, very exceptional on both sides. Yeah. And uh, Richardson isn't. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, just in the in the new era, uh, especially with Otani doing it at the major league level. And again, <clears throat> not throwing that out there as a direct comp, uh, but just the overall concept of a guy doing both things, um, you know, and, and that and the raise prospect, um, you know, it's, it's kind of a new thing. Not that it had never been done before. Obviously, Babe Ruth had success in, uh, you know, both roles, but something that we haven't seen a lot of uh, anytime in, in recent baseball history. But, yeah, uh, so seemed like a, a, a cool thing to bring up with him, even though it's not really going to turn into anything. Um, so then moving on from him, uh, I guess, you know, the draft goes, you have the first two rounds uh, on, on the first night and then three through ten and then 11 and beyond all the way up to 40. So... Uh, you know, we're not going to pull a pull a marathon podcast <laughs> in in the Jeff style of uh, yeah, those days are done <laughs> a few years back. So we're not going to go over every single guy on the list, but we'll segment it. You know, sort of uh, how they do in real life with the way these guys are drafted. So uh, rounds three through ten, uh, you know, you, you've got this group of players. Uh, who from that group stands out? You know, are there any of the guys? How many out of those guys are just sort of your average, uh, you know, signings that happen in those rounds? What's the overall sense? And then, you know, are there guys who stand out in that group? Uh, the Mets kind of go college, you know, reliever heavy in those in these rounds. You know, after the first couple of picks and. They were college reliever heavy again this year. The two picks that they made that stand out the most are their third pick, um, a second baseman by the name of Carlos Cortez, and their ninth pick, a right-handed pitcher by the name of Bryce Pontes de Oca. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that either one of them are going to be good, though, unfortunately. Um Cortez, he was drafted by the Mets a few years ago, the 21st round out of high school, and he decided to go to uh, college, so the Mets lost him, but clearly they still like him, and they drafted him again. He um, reminds me a lot, I think, of Dilson Herrera, who the Mets traded for Jay Bruce a couple of years ago. He's a kind of short middle infielder that has some... Sneaky power, you know. Um, what makes Cortez stand out, though, is that even though he's a sophomore right now, so that means so he can elect to go back to South Carolina University if he wants to, if he's not blown away by by the Mets offer. But even though he's a collegiate player, he is kind of a utility guy without a home because he could. He's basically a jack of all trades. He plays basically every single position, none of them great, but, you know, good enough to be playing the positions. Um, and he's 
ambidextrous to a crazy degree, as has been mentioned many, many, many times. He's uh, naturally left-hander, but he taught himself to throw with his right hand. And when he's in the out, when he's in the infield, he throws with his right hand. Then when he's in the outfield, he throws with his left hand. But either way, his arm is still kind of fringy. <laughs> so he's probably going to stay at second base. I guess you could say his his arms are fringy. <laughs> yeah, that's true. His arms are fringy. Um, but yeah, no, it's kind of a unique guy. You know, one of the things that you saw a lot of at the time he was picked was just people, you know, reacting to the fact that the Mets had uh, had picked him before. Obviously, like this kid, you know, at this point, you expect him to sign? I don't know. Uh, he didn't have a very good year. He started out the first couple of weeks. He was just in a really, really bad slump. And he did kind of break out of it. But at the end of the year, he hit 244, 369, 507. There's a little power in there. But... As a sophomore, you know, he, he has some leverage and he most likely can do better than that batting line. I don't know if he'll get that money, though, if he does go back. So he probably is better off just taking whatever the Mets offer him. And supposedly they're very high on him and might even offer him something a bit overslot, which I hope they don't. But... It's a possibility. But, yeah, it's probably in his best interest to just sign with the Mets for whatever they want to give him. Yeah, and as far as the slot stuff goes, um, do you expect any savings on either of the first two uh, round guys? Uh, you might get a small amount of savings with Kalenic. Um The slot value is 5500025 And with... Um, Simeon Woods Richardson, I think that he is going to uh, sign over slot. Supposedly, he has uh, he has a a commitment to Texas, and supposedly he's asking for a lot. So, which at the same time is kind of odd because he was not expecting to be picked so high to begin with. So, yeah, but yeah. This, there's there's lots of misdirection on the part on the part of teams and the players and their families and whoever they're talking to. So, who really knows? Yeah. Yeah, that that makes sense. Um, anything else on on Cortez himself or or um, Dayaka? Um, on Cortez, no, that's about it. Now on uh, Dayaka, uh, he is. Very, very, very tall. He's six foot seven. Uh, that kind of fits a, a profile that the Mets like. They like big guys for whatever reason. Um, he is a guy that his name has been in a lot of drafts. Um, coming out of high school, he was considered to be one of the best um, right-handers, one of the best prep right-handers available in the 2014 draft. And the White Sox picked him with their 14th round pick. But he didn't go, he didn't sign with them, and he went to the University of Missouri. And basically, he didn't really have a great time there. Um, he was not really used that much as a freshman in 2015. And then in 2016, the next year, he basically recorded a single out and then missed the rest of the season because he had ulnar nerve transposition surgery. 
So when he returned in 2017 last year, he was okay. Um, the biggest thing is that the same last year he was okay, and this season he was okay. The biggest thing that he, um, the biggest thing about him is that he basically walks everybody but strikes everybody out. Um, he was drafted last year by pick, but again he turned them down and he would. Um, returned to college and he in theory could turn the Mets down this year. He's a redshirt junior, so he could go back to uh, Missouri next season. I highly doubt that though, because odds are you're not being drafted much higher than ninth round. And I don't think that he's going to be given much more money than whatever the Mets offer him. What makes him attractive and that so many teams have, have gone after him is that his fastball sits in the low to mid-90s. It touches the high 90s. It's even touched 100 a couple of times. And because he's so tall, he's you know he strides well, and it gives him good extension. So his pitches look like they're you know coming in even faster, the whole Chris Young thing. And he complements it with a kind of wipeout pitch, uh, a very sharp slider. It's above average to plus even. Um, when it's you know tight, sometimes it gets a little slurvy. When he gets when he has trouble getting on top of it, and um, he also throws a changeup, but you know he doesn't really need to go to it very much, and it's a below average pitch. But a guy like that, you know, you could I don't know. There's a lot of ways that a guy like that could go. You could kind of he he is a starter primarily, so you could stick with him as a starter and see what happens. You could say, you know. Kid, you go into the bullpen, stick him in a bullpen, and in a year or two, he's theoretically ready for the major leagues because all he has to do is just throw a 100-mile-per-hour fastball. Um, he's had, like as, as like was mentioned, he's had his injuries in the past, so that could be a concern going forward, too, with him. So who knows? There's a lot of different possibilities. But he is, I think a lot better uh, a ninth-round pick than you're going to find in most places. Much more upside. Yeah, yeah, and that's exciting. And, you know, if it is a bullpen route that they send him on, uh, it would be nice. And it's not like the Mets haven't brought up any good relievers through their organization. You know, Familia obviously came up that way. Um, Pre-suspension, Mejia came up that way. But, man, it would be nice. It, It feels like... So many other teams have guys come up and they just start pitching in the major league bullpen and dominate. Um, and I don't, it just maybe it's uh, Met fan perception coming from me here, but it feels like it just doesn't happen that much uh, with the Mets themselves. So you know anybody who sounds like they might be able to do that is, and I, I tend to be a little more focused on bullpen arms i guess than uh the average fan but it's exciting to me so sign me up for that yeah well (laughs) i mean if he does make it to the major leagues though he really is gonna have to work on that control because for as many guys as he strikes out um last year he struck out nine per nine innings this year was it was 10.7 per nine innings but he also walked 6.2 and 5.4 so yeah you know it's the kind of the classic super arm that just throws so hard he doesn't know where the ball is going and is, you know, either effectively wild or is just completely wild and 
everything goes to hell. So hopefully yeah. it's more of the good and not the bad. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that kind of brings us to the other, you know, uh, quantity-wise, the vast majority of the draft. But, you know, rounds 11 through 40, uh, these are the guys who, if you are tuning into the draft, you know, you're just getting an audio feed of a conference call, basically, and, you know, picks are made in rapid succession. Uh, it's a big field. Uh, what did the Mets do with that segment of the draft? And then I guess we can run down, you know, any anybody who individually stands out from that very large group. Uh, there's a couple of guys. One guy is Phil Capra. Uh, he's a catcher, and the only reason why he kind of sticks out is because he's from Wagner College. It's right here. You know, it's, I could walk there if I wanted to. A um, couple of prep high school guys. Um, there's Zachary Hammer. There's Jalen Palmer. There's Saul Gonzalez. They were selected at 21, 22, and 23 in succession. Um, there's another guy that the Mets took, Jake Magnum. Mangum. I don't really I hope I didn't butcher that, but Yeah, I think um, I think Mangum like uh Yeah. Like what's his name from Pavement? Um who else? Uh right after him there was a another prep basically they signed again, you know, as they usually do, a bunch of kind of low not low upside, but Basically, a bunch of boring college seniors and juniors, and they sprinkled in a couple of high school kids here and there. Okay. The thing is, though, I, I feel like this year the high schoolers that they did pick were drafted a bit later. Um, I know last year they picked a couple of high school kids between rounds 11 to 20. This year they did not pick any. Oh, no, they picked one, excuse me. And, you know, the further down you go, either it's because there's less likely that the guy's going to sign, the kid's going to sign, or, you know, there's just bigger flaws, even though they're high school kids and they have a lot of projectability or whatever. But it just feels like the high school guys that they did go after this year um, were, they don't have the upside that the high school guys that they picked last year, which is a little unfortunate. Because the lowest levels of the minor leagues net system is, it's good, but, you know, there's just so much variability and so many of these guys are just projection alone that, you know, if somebody's fastball doesn't, you know, go from 88 to 92 like you want it to or something like that, then he goes from being an interesting guy to just kind of like, oh, he's just there. And you need to restock the bottom pretty quickly when, when stuff like that is happening a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So that, I think, uh, you know, sums up what they did in this draft. And, uh, you know, at the top, we were talking about just sort of what the perception of the system was coming into it. You know, I guess my question is has anything changed as a result of this draft? Um, obviously. You know, you need to see these guys get into professional games. Uh, but, you know, what is the state of the system at the moment? Uh, you know, we, we've had a couple months of the minor league season with some of the other guys. 
and we'll touch on uh, Peter Alonzo, Jeff McNeil in a minute. Uh, you know, but where is the system overall at this point in time in your mind? Um, the the needle hasn't really moved. Coming into the draft, I was pretty excited because the Mets are getting you know pick number six. You have to be particularly bad to get pick number six. Maybe they'll be that bad again this year. Who knows? But um, it's a high pick. And then the next couple of picks, 48, 83, and 110. That's not exactly four in the top 100, but it's it's pretty close. And with those, with those, you know, the best picks that they had, those top 100 guys or so that are across the country and in Canada and in Puerto Rico, they, I don't think they maximize the talent that they could have picked. And it would, would have been in those four picks that you would have found the real difference makers in the system. Um, other picks, you're going to, you know, you're going to find role players and contributors afterwards. You know, the, the unexciting kind of junior and senior college relievers, they have their place. The guys like, you know, Tim Peterson, Paul Seawald, they're semi-effective major league contributors right now. But they didn't really move the needle when they were drafted. And nobody really that the Mets picked is going to move the needle. And that's a little disappointing. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's when you go through a season like they had last year, uh, you know, it, it would be nice if the silver lining was that you would get something out of it that would be that good. Like, uh, I don't know the Giants system well, but it felt like with their selection of Bart, uh, you know, they made a, a, an exciting move, one that might change the perception of where they are. Uh, is that fair to say with them? Yeah, I mean, Bart is definitely an impact player. Um, Kalenic, he might be, you know, just because he's a high school player and he's a kind of raw one at that, it's going to take a while for him to develop and be, you know, uh, to the minor league rankings and and eventually to the major league team. But like a guy like Bart, really any kind of like high upside uh, college player like that, he's going to make an immediate impact on, you know, minor league rankings and just the system in general. As things stand now, Kalenic is probably like five to 10, somewhere in there in the Mets top, top 10 prospects. So, We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just before we before we go, uh, we wanted to touch on the two guys who I, I mentioned a couple of minutes ago. Uh, you know, the Mets obviously are in the spot that they're in. And uh, let's just say Adrian Gonzalez and particularly Jose Reyes aren't exactly lighting things up at the plate. <laughs> so, you know, you've seen and heard – uh, probably some Mets fans, much more so with with Peter Alonso at first base, and then maybe some fans who are uh, a little more into the minor league system, bringing up Jeff McNeil, who's uh, you know an infielder as well. Uh, had some, I'd say he had some support. I don't know if hype is necessarily the word, but he had some support uh, among our writers going back a few years. But it was a guy who kind of struggled to stay healthy. Uh, but has been really producing at the plate 
we'll start with Alonzo. You know, is it time? He's got an OPS that's still over one, um, hitting lots of home runs. I think he had 15 coming into today. I don't know if he mm-hmm. hit any others in the last few hours, but, you know, is it time to promote him and just see what you have at the major league level and at the very least just hope that it's better than what Gonzalez gives you? Well, I have tickets to the Binghamton and Trenton game on Saturday <laughs> and Sunday, so Friday is not the time to call him up. All right. Saturday is not the time to call him up. Sunday is not the time to call him up. Anything after Monday, that's good. Go ahead and call him up. Yeah, and, and you know, that kind of works. Uh, I, I like the personal aspect of that, but you figure <laughs> they're not going to call him up and throw him into the Subway series, as it, you know, as overrated as it may be. Uh, as an event at this point, uh, you know, maybe not where you want to have a guy make his debut. Then again, some other debuts have happened in, in that series and they've turned out just fine. Uh, but, <laughs> but yeah, it, it doesn't seem like it, that would be the most likely spot. But, you know, obviously the numbers are there. Is there anything with him, uh, you know, on, on, sort of just a descriptive side that is particularly encouraging in Um, terms of what he's doing? I think that he's, you know, he's been killing the league basically since he was promoted last year. I think he was in like six games in Binghamton last year and he hit over 300 and then that's continued since then. But he's, I'm not going to call, I know people have called it a slump. I'm not going to call it a slump, but he's slowed down a little bit. Um, He hasn't been hitting as well um, for the average. But he has been walking a lot, and he hasn't been striking out much. And I think that has been his biggest test to date, and he is passing that. Um, You know, he's getting a lot of guys aren't pitching, you know, they're pitching around him, basically. You know, he is one of the league leaders in average and is one of the league leaders in home runs. So if you you give him something he can hit, he's going to hit it. And... Pitchers obviously don't want that to happen. And now that he's getting pitchers are being more selective with him, he's not, you know, he's not falling into their traps. He's not expanding the zone. He's not striking himself out. He's not making weak contact and getting himself out. He's willing to take those pitches. He's willing to draw walks. And that I think is very important just for his maturation as a pitcher. I mean, excuse me, as a player. Because at the major league level, pitchers are obviously gonna, you know, if you're if you're hot, they're gonna pitch around you. They're not gonna give you good stuff. So he's showing that he can do that, and that basically is like the final hurdle um, for him. I think he really doesn't have anything left to prove. You know, I I don't know the nitty gritty. You know, is he susceptible to change ups down and away is he you know susceptible to curveballs that drop in you know whatever i don't know those you know that stuff still needs to be proven but as a in a general sense he is showing that he can you know go with the flow and if pitches aren't gonna give him anything he's not gonna try to force anything to happen yeah yeah hey that that all that all sounds good to me um and then you know, with McNeil uh, coming into tonight, he's hit 13 home runs. He also has an OPS over one. Should we be buying uh, that, you know, that this is legitimately who he is? And, you know, this is, I think, an example to maybe compare 
stat lines. Uh, McNeil's a little bit older, but you know, is is this who he really is as a hitter, and is he knocking on the major league door because of what he's doing in Double A at this point? Um, it was two years, I guess it was, when we heard that you know McNeil added all that muscle. Yep, and. Jeff and Greg saw him, like, you know, one of the first games at Binghamton, and he looked legit. And then he got hurt, and then you know he came back, and then last season he got, you know, he got hurt. He missed a lot of time again, and it's not really a, a case of just older guys, you know, more physically capable, more advanced than you know the, the players that he's playing against. He just he legitimately, you know changed his body he added a lot of strength he adjusted his swing to compensate for all that extra strength um after the injuries that he had the last couple of years hopefully he's adjusted his you know training regimen as well and diet and whatever else but it's a legitimate change in his profile so there's no reason to think that um you know he's gonna get promoted and then suddenly lose 30 pounds of muscle and all that power Right. You know, if if he ever gets promoted, so there is there is some legitimacy there. I don't know. Um, you know, as as a prospect, he's not as advanced or or as good as Alonzo, who I think you know could handle major league um, pitching. You know, tomorrow if he was brought up, right? McNeil, I'm not so sure about that, but. You know, the only way is that you're going to find out is if you let the guy do it. And really, you know, the Mets, maybe some people are kind of holding on to some glimmer of hope, but I don't think it looks very good. And, and why not let him play? You know, the whole thing with Reyes. Reyes is not adding any positive value that McNeil, you know, would be dragging down if, if you substitute the two guys. If McNeil sucks, it's not like Reyes... You know, he's going to suck just as as much. So right. Well, yeah. I mean, and the way things have been going this year, it's hard to be. Yeah, you know, worst case scenario, you're one of the worst five hitters in baseball. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, you know, uh, that's that's not really the end of the world. So. Yeah. If, well, if he replace if if McNeil say he becomes the worst hitter in baseball, well, he's replacing the worst hitter in baseball. So you're not really changing anything much. Right. So, yeah, on that note, uh, (laughs) you know, hopefully we'll see those two guys uh, get major league chances sooner rather than later. Um, Obviously, everybody who we talked about in the draft, especially with the Mets going with a high school guy uh, or two high school guys, really, with their highest picks. um, You know, these aren't guys that we expect to see at the major league level in the short term future. Uh, and and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But uh, but yeah, you know, hopefully, I think uh, you know, there's there's a good sense of what they did in this draft. Uh, it probably fits in pretty well with what they've done in years past. You know, nothing nothing shocking really there. But uh, but yeah, we we hope to have uh, you know enlightened. You, uh, you listeners, uh, for you know what the Mets have done here, and maybe given a little bit of hope with what we'll see from Alonzo and maybe McNeil, and uh, yeah, 
So until next time, well, we'll we will eventually talk to, about the major league team again. But if they keep, you know, going at the pace they're going, uh, yeah. we, we might just keep finding topics that aren't them. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. So you and as always, you can find us on Twitter. I'm Chris McShane at Chris McShane. Steve Saipa at Steve Saipa. S T E V E S Y P A. Uh, just in case you didn't know. And uh, yeah, Steve, thanks for. Thanks for chatting tonight about all this stuff. Yep, no problem. Like I said earlier, it's it's fun stuff. So maybe you have to be an extreme weirdo to find it fun, but then, <laughs> you know, I'm a weirdo. Uh, hey, there you go. That works.